Are you ready to study the Word of God a little bit? Me too. I think there's some really great things that the Spirit of God wants to accomplish in our lives today. I really genuinely believe that, and so I want to get right to it. So would you pray with me real quick? Heavenly Father, we love you. We worship you. We want you to know how great we think you are. We're so thankful, so incredibly thankful for you. Pray today that you would come as you're already here, that you would uh, come and breathe life through these words. Pray that you would speak to us from the word of God and not from the words of a man, but through your words. And that you would uh, help every listener to be encouraged and to find some truths that will help them to follow you better. Lord, we love you. We give this time to you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Well, I hope you all did have a fantastic Thanksgiving. We did. We were over with my, uh, my dad and my mom. We had a great time with family and friends and celebrated over there. Ate way too much. Had to put on the sweatpants, you know, the whole deal to make sure it was a great afternoon. Really enjoyed our time there. Uh, I really love Thanksgiving. What I don't love is what happens right after Thanksgiving, and that is Black Friday. Did any of you do it? Did any of you like go, did you go crazy and get up and go like in the middle of the night? No shame. There's no shame. Did any of you do it? <laughs> like one guy. Oh, I did. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not worth it to me. I just can't do it. I just don't care that much. I don't, I don't, I don't want, it's not worth it to lose the sleep and do all of that. And as I've already said, this is not a huge deal to me, but I just love taking the time to be thankful. I get so frustrated when the, now it used to be that at midnight or in the morning, that's when the deals would start, right? Because now it's Christmas time, but now it's creeping into my Thanksgiving. Now it's at 10 PM on my Thanksgiving where we're supposed to jump in and go get gifts and go stand in lines. I don't want to do that. I want to lay back and relax and just be thankful for everything that God has given me. I love that. Uh, so I don't, I don't really do the Black Friday thing, and it's mostly because I'm not brave enough. I'm just not. I am not brave enough to jump in and get sprayed with pepper spray in the face because somebody wants the CD that I was going after for my child. Did you hear about this? In California, I think it was. So they're going out to the same item, and some lady pulls out pepper spray and just goes nuts on everybody. I just can't fathom that. It's crazy to me. But nonetheless, I think she probably got what she wanted, and maybe a little more than she wanted. Um, so I'm just not nearly brave enough to go and be with people like that in the middle of the night. Um, so anyway, I uh, didn't do that, but I got, a, I got a quick poll for you, and I want to ask you this question because this is really important to me. I violated uh, one of my standards here recently, and that is when Christmas really starts and when Christmas music should actually be played. So I, I was really disappointed in myself. And so typically for me, I believe that Christmas music should not start until the day after Thanksgiving. Okay? All right, so let's, let's, let's find out. So, so how many of you uh, are those kinds of people? By a raise of hands, you would say, yes, once Thanksgiving is over, the next day you can do the tree and you can turn on Christmas music. That's when it all begins. Lift your hand up. Okay, yeah, right. Ooh, that's a lot of people. All right, so then how many of you are the uh, selfish, um, <laughs> consumer-driven, I don't care about being thankful 
I simply want to listen to Christmas music when I want to listen to it and it completely ignore Thanksgiving and just play it whenever I want. How many of you? The, okay. <laughs> All right. So real quick, again, you, you'll play before Thanksgiving and then you'll play after Thanksgiving. Yes, there they are, the true saints, the godly ones. Thank you so much. It's fantastic. Well, there's no doubt about it, though. Whether, no matter where you fall on that line, uh, the holidays are here, and it's a great time. It's a great time for most. But most of you know that the holidays also bring with it a lot of times a lot of stress and anxiety. Have you ever noticed this? A little bit of anxiety, a little bit of stress for all kinds of reasons, right? I mean, everybody is working through all kinds of dynamics because, number one, you've got relatives and in-laws coming in, and that often is enough to cause stress, <laughs> and plenty of it. But there are other issues then that, that come with that. It's not just that, but it's, it's uh, family relationships and broken relationships. Or maybe it highlights a, a prodigal family member, a son or a daughter. Or maybe it's the finances that you're so worried about and you want to provide something great for your children, but you just feel like you're not able to. Or maybe it's something with your career. It doesn't matter what it is. There's no doubt all of us, as we get into the holidays, it can be easy to be reminded of all the stresses and anxieties that come along with the season. Now, for some of you, that's not true, but for others, it is. And then there's those of us who, frankly, we don't need the holidays to remember that life can be full of anxiety and fear and worry and stress and doubt because we just live in it all the time from hurts, from rejections, from uh, issues in marriage, from all of these things. Well, regardless of where you are today, I want to encourage you from the book of Philippians. You know, we've been on this this series in Philippians, and we're calling it The Secret to Being Content. The Secret to Being Content, and we've been drawing from Philippians different secrets to having contentment in our lives. And so today, I want us to stop and I want us to realize this truth, that we don't have to live stressed out and full of anxiety. We don't have to, because Jesus lives in us. Regardless of where you are today, this passage that we're going to go through, it, it gives us some strong direction. And I want to encourage you to do one thing with me today. It's a passage that probably most of you have read numerous times. Um, and it, 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 it's a passage that you'll be familiar with most likely. But I want to ask you to listen again to it. It's going to talk to us about how to be content and how to live with peace, even in the midst of all these difficulties and things that happen and surround us, even though that doesn't always make sense. It seems like the anxiety should be able to pull us down and weigh us down. But scripture says, no, you don't have to worry and you don't have to be anxious. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. And frankly, I think that following Jesus, it, it just, it doesn't always make sense. Following Jesus, it doesn't always make sense to us. It doesn't always fit within the norms and cultural expectations of our world. In fact, often it doesn't. God's kingdom is, is often backwards, or it's, it's the opposite of what our culture expects out of us, out of one another. If you're going to follow Jesus, though, I want you to remember this. You will often be required to live outside of the quote-unquote norms. 
If you're going to be a true lifelong disciple and follower of Jesus, you will be required to live outside of the norms. And I want you to think about that today as we go through this passage of scripture. Here's kind of what I mean, that it doesn't always fit like, like it should. And it's a little bit backwards. How about things like the first shall be last and the last shall be first. If you want to find your life, well, you're going to have to lose it. <laughs> if you want to be great, how do you do it? You become the servant of everybody. You humble yourself and serve as many people as you can. If you want to live forever with the Lord Jesus, then you have to die to yourself daily. It doesn't always fit just right. And as a believer in Jesus, this is the kind of life that you and I are called to live. Now, chapter four is this last chapter in Philippians and we're closing in on the passage that many of us know so well. We're closing in on this idea where Paul's really going to talk about the contentment and that I've learned in all things to be content. And the, the verse that most of us know that says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. And you've got to remember as we go through this today that Paul is not just writing some encouraging words. He didn't just sit down and say, hmm, I wonder what I should write to this church in Philippi. I wonder what kind of words I should write. The Holy Spirit breathed through him some specific ideas for them, for those people. And he is responding to questions and issues and things that are going on within their lives. We don't know all of what's going on there, but you have to remember, he is responding to them. In this letter. And the Philippians, they're dealing with some, some pretty serious uh, things that can cause plenty of anxiety. They've got some hostile pagan neighbors. They're, they're dealing with some potential persecutions. They're, they've got a lot of stuff that's going on. So he's teaching them that followers of Jesus, just as we've said, they defy the circumstances of life and expected behavior. He's teaching them here in this passage to be content in these times of anxiety. So two things I want you to remember right up front. One is that contentment has nothing to do with our circumstances. It's found in him. Contentment has nothing to do with our circumstances. It's found in Jesus. So we think oftentimes, you know, but once, well, once, once this clears up, once I get these things taken care of, once my life is okay, once, once I've got all this wrapped up with my, my relatives, or once I work through this forgiveness issue, or once my career takes off, or once uh, my ship finally comes in and my finances are secure, then I won't have to deal with anxieties and worries and doubts and fears anymore. Everybody, that's just not how it works. Those things are going to come and they're going to go. But I can guarantee you this, they're going to come again. And if we're determined to only live free of anxieties and worries when they're not here, we're going to be in trouble. You can live in peace and confidence and security, defying the norms of culture and what we think life should be like if you'll just follow Jesus. That's what we're talking about today. The second thing I want you to remember is this, that, content, that what I've already said, just to make it clear, the contentment that Jesus gives, it will often go against these expected norms of our culture. So let's read in Philippians chapter 4. You ready? For Philippians chapter 4, we're going to go to verse 4, and we're going to go through verse 9. Let's read it. Here it says in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. 
Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So out of the gates in verse four, he just throws everybody off. So everybody, everybody in, in, in Philippi that's dealing with some of these anxieties and pagan neighbors and pressing in, they're having these troubles, they're being persecuted, he jumps right away and says, hey, rejoice. You know what? I'll say it to you again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice. And everybody says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. That's just not what we do. Do you not know the pressures and the things that I'm dealing with in my life? Look, it is tough. What I am going through is tough. And I understand that. And I believe that Paul understood that. But he says it anyway. And he doesn't just say it once. He says it twice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say it. Rejoice. Two times, which means that, hey, everybody, we need to pay attention to this. This is important for us. But you don't understand. You don't know what I'm going through. Nobody can understand what I'm going through. Well, let's not forget that Paul, as he writes this, as he pens these words under the direction of the Holy Spirit, he's in prison. He's lying in prison, potentially waiting an almost certain death. And the Philippians, he's thinking about them. Just go there and think about Paul being in a prison, thinking about the Philippians starting out in strong Christian living, persecutions, dark days, difficulties, anxieties laying ahead of them. And Paul is saying, I know what is right now. I know the circumstances of my life. I know the circumstances of your life. And I know what's coming. And still, I'm going to say to you, rejoice. How can he do this? How can Paul say something like this? Well, I think that there's a secret that comes from Acts chapter 16 because this is not Paul's first go-around in Philippi in prison. In Acts chapter 16 and verse 16, you can turn there if you've got your Bibles. Acts 16, 16 says, Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days, and finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. The magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. This is a bad day. I don't know if you've ever experienced a day like this, but 
if it was me, I would be a little anxiety ridden. I would feel a little anxious and a little bummed out about the experiences of my life at this point. I'd be looking at Silas and saying, dude, not a good day. But at midnight, in verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. This is an incredible moment. And so Paul had already had this experience in Philippi. Paul already knew that the way to freedom was paved with rejoicing in God. He already knew it. Now, I don't think that's why they sat down and did this. I don't think that they said, all right, Silas, here we go. This is what we're going to do. At midnight, we are going to enact plan praise and escape. (laughs) So at midnight, we're going to sing hymns, we're going to praise, we're going to pray, and then the chains are going to fall off and we're going to get out of here. We know that's not the case because even after the chains were loosed and the prison doors flew open, they stayed. And it resulted in salvation for the jailer and the rest of his family. But Paul had this experience and this knowledge that freedom comes when we rejoice in God. And that's why he can say, look, just rejoice. Freedom's going to come. It may not come right away, but freedom's gonna, it's going to come. So just rejoice in God, who is the one who's going to bring it to you. I think a lot of times we understand rejoicing as something that's kind of inside. It's kind of something I keep to myself. I got a, I got a sense of joy within. I got, a, I got an inner thing going on. It's good. I don't think that's the way that Paul was communicating this here. I think with the word that he used in the original, I think with the way that the the Philippians would have heard it, I think that most likely it meant more of a public celebration, not an inner sense of joy. I mean, in their world, all the world around them, in Ephesus and Philippi and Corinth, they would organize feasts and festivals and, and they would have shows and games to celebrate their gods. I think Paul is thinking, look, if that is all happening around us, then how can we as followers of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords not celebrate exuberantly with who he is and all that he can do and has done? I think Paul understood that true joy stands apart from everything on earth because its source is Jesus. True joy that you can experience today, it stands apart from everything else on the earth because its source is Jesus. See, I think the person who truly follows Jesus can't lose joy because he won't, she won't lose Jesus. If you are truly a follower, you can't lose that joy because you won't lose Jesus. So rejoice today. The verse goes on and says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. More reason for us to rejoice. And this word gentleness, it's interesting because it can be a little bit difficult to interpret. But I think that here, oftentimes it's used as an attitude of kindness. This word gentleness is used as an attitude of kindness where the expected response would normally be retaliation. 
the normal response that we would all know and, and do in moments of anxiety is to retaliate, to fight back to in-laws and people and pressures and things that press in against to retaliate over the Thanksgiving holiday, <laughs> to retaliate over the dinner table. How dare you? Because there's so much buildup and so much that's backed up over years of mistrust and abuse and things like that, causing the anxieties. But this word, it's an attitude of kindness when you would expect to bring the hammer. I think that it could be, it could be as I was reading and studying, it could be a, called a, a, a yielding. A yielding. Instead of demanding the penalty required, giving way to mercy. Let your gentleness be evident to everybody. Now, I don't think Paul is advocating here that you just, you walk around and, and just be gentle with everyone. Oh, you've really caused me some pain, some anxiety. But Jesus bless you. I don't think he's saying be that gentle. That's a little embarrassing, frankly. I do think he's saying, hey, I know you want to retaliate, but look, just yield, back off. Let everybody know that you're not going to punch back. Let everybody know that you trust in God because God is near. So let your gentleness be evident to everybody. He's not saying, yeah, just walk around and be gentle and sing songs, zippity doo dah, zippity a. My, oh my, what a wonderful day. Plenty of sunshine coming my way. Zippity doo dah, zippity a. Mr. Bluebird on my, sorry, no, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. He's not saying just be ignorant, just be gentle. He is saying yield. Yield and let everybody know that you're not going to retaliate, that you're going to trust God. How can you do that? Again, because the Lord is near. Again, so much the opposite of what we want to do. We want to fight back. But God is near. God is near. And I think this means a couple things. He is definitely more near now than when we first came to know him. He's on his way back again. He's coming back for us. But I think it also means that he is near. He is with us. He is in us. His spirit resides in us. The Lord is near. This is not a force of your will. It's not you saying, well, I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to yield. It's you saying, God is near and he lives in me. So I'm going to yield. I'm going to yield to him. If he is in fact near, it means that you can trust in him. Listen, if you constantly remember the coming triumph of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I don't think it's even right to say the coming triumph because he's already won. But if you remember, let's just say then, the triumph of Jesus, then you won't lose hope and you won't lose joy and you'll be able to yield. So let's keep going. Then it gets into the, the, the thick of it and says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. I love how extreme this is, right? I love that it's, it's, just, it's just extreme uh, polar words that he's using. Don't be anxious about anything. Nothing. 
You can't worry about anything. Just don't do it. But in every situation, good, bad, high, low, happy, sad, every situation, by prayer and petition, he gives us instruction on how, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Well, here we go again. Not how we operate, Paul. Not the deal for us. In fact, we're, we're typically anxious about just about everything. It just happens to us. It happens so quick and so easy. I think if we were to write this passage of Scripture, that obviously not under the direction of the Holy Spirit, if we were writing this ourselves, I bet it would come out something like this. I know if I was writing it, uh, there are many moments in my life where I would write these words. Be anxious about everything. And in every situation, by grumbling and complaining, with disappointment, tell God how unfair life really is. Now, obviously, none of us would ever say that. We would never actually proclaim those words. But by our thoughts and by our actions and by the way that we respond, I think we say it pretty clearly to God himself and to the people that we're in relationship with. But Paul is telling them, don't worry about anything. Stop it. And in every situation, be prayerful and be thankful. Now, he doesn't give any guarantee against suffering. He doesn't give any guarantee saying, look, if you'll do this, there will be no suffering. There will be no issues. He's simply saying, look, don't worry about it. In fact, I guarantee you, it's coming. Just don't worry about it because it's going to be okay if you'll do these things. Remember that as Paul is writing this, that he's in prison. And, and the Philippians, they're facing all of these trials. And as you look in Matthew chapter 6, I want you to turn your Bibles there really quick. It's another good hunk of scripture, but I think that maybe as, as Paul's writing this, he might be considering the words of Jesus that say in Matthew 6, 25, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father, he feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? Well, we'd live a long time if that were true. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father, he knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry. You know, as I was reading through that uh, and contemplating this morning, I, I really felt like verse uh, 26 kind of leapt out at me. And I, I feel like there's some of you in the room this morning that... You need to hear verse 26 for you. The birds of the air, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store away in barns. But your heavenly father, he feeds them. And are you not much more valuable than they are? 
you have great value to God. And many of you don't see it. You don't sense it. And because you don't sense it, you don't believe it. But it has very little to do with what you feel about it. It just has everything to do with what is. And you have intrinsic value because God created you. And you, you can't, this is what I've always, I've always been taught, is that you, the, the, the one who pays the price for something, they're the one, the purchaser, they're the ones who determine what something is really worth. They're the ones who determine how much I'm going to spend on something. So if that's really true, how much did God the Father spend on you? He spent everything that he had, his one and only son, part of himself as the Trinity. He gave his son for you. You can't tell me that you don't have value to him. You can't tell me that he doesn't care about you. You can't tell me that he wants you to walk around and be anxious and full of anxiety and fear and doubt. He values you and you need to believe it. And from that place, then, once you start to believe that, then your prayer life starts to change. Once you believe that you have value, then you can go on. And in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, you can present your requests. For many of us, we're stuck because we don't think we have major value for God, for, in God's eyes. And so we just think, well, I don't know. I don't even know if he's up there listening. But there are a couple things that I want you to hear today that you've got to settle if your prayer life is going to take off and if you're going to do what Paul is commanding us to do here. Number one, you need to remember that you've got to trust that God wants to hear you. Or maybe for some of you, you just need to be convinced of it, that your prayers do matter and he wants to hear you. The things that go on in your life, they're important to him. I've heard it said that there's nothing too great for God's power and there's nothing too small for his fatherly care. There's nothing too great for God's power and nothing too small for his fatherly care. In Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, turn your Bibles there really quick. Luke chapter 18, verse 1 through 8. There's a parable of the persistent widow. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there's a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said to them, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? The answer he's looking for there is no. No, he won't. He won't keep putting them off. I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. 
Listen, most of us, we read through that passage and we go, all right, so how does that work? So I guess it means that uh, God, he's the, he's the judge, right? Because that's, that's what we usually consider God to be. So he's the judge, I guess, even though it says he doesn't fear God and he, he doesn't really care about people. That's kind of weird to me. But then I guess I'm the persistent widow who just keeps coming and bothering him, bothering, bothering him. And he's there saying, oh, you're driving me crazy. Okay, fine. Fine, I'll give you what you want. Just, you t- just take it. That's not what this is saying. This is not an allegory. It's not an allegory that's telling us to fight and fight and fight and fight until you put the pressure on and twist God's arm finally so much he gives in. This is a parable to show us a contrast. It's a contrast between this judge, this unrighteous judge, who who is saying, no, 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 I don't care. I don't care about you. I don't care about God. I don't care about people. And he's saying, but I, I, in contrast, I am the righteous judge. Come, keep telling me, am I going to keep putting you off? No, I'm not going to keep putting you off. I want you to come. I want you to speak. I want you to pray to me. Keep coming because God wants to hear you. The second thing you've got to become convinced of if you're going to do this is you've got to trust that God is able, that he has the power to bring change and transformation. He can do it. You know, it's funny. Of course, there, there are so many issues that are going on, so many crazy things happening in our world. The wars, the, the, the economy, everybody's occupying everything. Uh, all these issues, uh, you know, just scratching the surface of, of everything that's going on in our world and all, all these bad things that constantly and continually happen. And can you believe this? Nobody has one time asked me my opinion or how to help. Nobody's come to me. Nobody's come and said, Brent, what shall we do? We want to occupy Austin. What shall we do? No one has come and asked me. I don't know why. That's not true. I do know why. I know nothing. I can do nothing. I have no power. I have no ability. I can't do it. I can't solve these things. But Jesus can. Ephesians 3.20 says that he, is, he can do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. And I don't know about you, but I can imagine quite a bit. I can imagine a lot of great things. And he can do immeasurably more than I can measure. He can do more. This is the God that you serve. You really want to be stuck in your anxieties and worries? Get out of him and trust him. Believe that he wants to hear you as you pray and believe that he has the power to do something about them. But don't just pray, Paul continues on. He he continues to say everything in prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Now this is a big idea. With thanksgiving. So often we just breeze past it. I've already mentioned, and it frustrates me a little bit. Even in my own life, I get frustrated with how quickly I I go to the next thing and don't stop to be thankful for all the wonderful things that I have. There's a story of a man named H.A. Ironside. He was a preacher uh, a long time ago, and he he was sitting down for a he was sitting down for a lunch, a very busy, crowded restaurant. And as he's sitting there, a guy came in. He was looking for a place to sit and couldn't find any. So he came over to Ironside and he said, "Hey, uh, excuse me, sir. Do you mind if I just do you mind if I sit down with you here? There's really no space in here. Could, could I join you?" Ironside said, "Yeah, come on, have a seat." So he sat down and Ironside he, he bowed his head and he gave thanks for his meal. And he looked up and the guy said, "What are you doing?" Ironside said, "Well, I, I, I was." Uh, 
I was just uh, giving thanks. The guy was like, what? You're doing what? Are you okay? I mean, do you have a headache? Are you hurting? Are you? No, no, no. I was, I was giving thanks to God for my meal. And the guy said, oh, yeah, right. You're one of those. You're one of those guys. Well, let me tell you something. I don't give thanks for anything. I work hard. I earn my own money. I pay my own way. And so when I come and I sit down and I have a meal that I paid for and that I worked for, I just sit right down. I don't give thanks to anybody. I just sit down and I dig right in. And Ironside looked at him and said, oh, yeah, you're just like my dog. That's what he does, too. Now, that's a point there, isn't there? There's something to be said of that. Hey, this morning, one chapel, can we do this? Don't be a dog. Don't be a dog. Man, give thanks in every circumstance. The good ones, the bad ones. Because as you give thanks to God, something incredible happens. When you give thanks, it unleashes things. It does things. I tell you, every time I start to get down in the dumps, I start to worry or fret or be anxious, I just start by, I did it this past week. I just, I was having a tough time and I, over a few things and I was feeling myself on the slide and I just said, you know what, God, I'm not going to worry about this. I just thank you. God, thank you. I know I'm worried about this, but thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you for the healing that you've given me. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for my wonderful children. Thank you for my gorgeous and wonderful and wife full of character and honor and integrity. I love her so much. And thank you. Thank you for Thank you for everything that you've given to me. And what happened? Do you know what happened? My anxieties started to melt. Because being thankful, it puts your mind in the right frame of reference. Here's what it does. Number one, Thanksgiving, it's a command from God. You're supposed to do it. Why? Because he demands it? Because he just says, hey, you need to be more thankful, you ingrate. It's not like me with my kids. It's not me saying, okay, and hey, 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 what do you say? Thank you. Okay, we're working on that. All right. It's not that. He's not saying that. He knows what Thanksgiving does in our lives. So he commands us, give thanks. Thanksgiving is the defense against materialism. I want this, I want this, I want this. I want to consume, I want to have, I want all these things. It's a defense against materialism. God, thank you for the little that I do have. I love it so much. Thank you that you provided for me. It's the enemy of entitlement. It's the enemy of entitlement where you say, hey, I deserve this. No, you're being a dog. It's the enemy of entitlement. It says, you don't deserve this. Everything that you have, it's been given to you by Jesus. Everything. It's the cure for self-pity. Oh. <laughs> I'm so anxious. I'm so, I'm so fear-ridden. I'm so concerned. I'm so... Poor me, woe is me, woe is unto me. It's the cure for all of that. You don't say, oh, woe is me and all that I'm struggling through. Oh, poor me, no one understands me. No, you stop and say, oh, thank you, Jesus, for everything that you've done. And your courage begins to build. And you don't, you don't get down in the muck and the mire of that self-pity. You rise in the life of God. 
is modeled by Jesus. It honors the Father. It's born out of humility. It sustains your faithfulness. It's a prerequisite for joy in your heart. It leads you to be generous to other people. It is an attitude toward life and a condition of your heart. This is what Thanksgiving is meant to be for us. Not a day to celebrate and eat too much turkey and have too much tryptophan. So even before you finish the meal, you're... You're out. It is not that. It is a lifestyle to be lived every single day. And let me tell you this. Even if you think you have nothing to be thankful for, you do. His name is Jesus. So you can look around the circumstances of your life and you can see, oh, uh, man, I have so little and there's so many tough things going on. That may be true. I'm not saying that's not true. I'm not telling you to deny what really exists. I'm just telling you to focus in on the person who really matters. And you can be thankful if you think you have nothing else. Whether you believe it or not, it is true. Jesus died for you. And you can start there. And from that starting point, you can rise to a lifestyle of thanksgiving. Listen, everybody. The way, this is really it. It's very simple. I got, this is another one of those one-point drive-it-home sermons. The way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful and thankful about everything. The way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful and thankful about everything. This is not a sheer force of your will. It's not you just saying, I'm not going to worry. 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 I'm not going to be anxious. That's not the way it works. You do this by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, and you let God know what's going on. And then what happens? The scripture says, and, and, we'll close with this, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That and is important because it gives the result of your thankful prayer. If you will do this, then this will happen. If you will be thankful, if you will be prayerful, if you will do this in all circumstances, then, then is when the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And it goes beyond your understanding. You can't comprehend it. You can't figure out where it comes from. It goes beyond your own mind and fills you. But even more than that, I think it means this, this idea of it transcending your understanding. It means it goes beyond your, the power and the skill of your own mind to produce it. Your mind can't produce this peace. Your heart can't produce this peace. If you'll be prayerful and thankful with thanksgiving, giving everything to God, and then the peace of God go beyond your understanding and will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now, Philippi, it's a Roman colony, and so it's protected by Roman soldiers. So most likely when Paul says this, when Paul is writing this to them, they can envision it. And this word guard, it means like a, like a garrison of soldiers surrounding and protecting a city, fortifying that city, standing firm, weapons at the ready where nothing can get in. Nothing can push through. It's going to fight to the end. That's the kind of peace that God is talking about here. That's the kind of peace that is available for you and for me. In thankful prayer, God's peace guards your heart and your mind like a city. He's not promising that everything's going to come through just like you're asking. He's saying you can be secure and calm in the middle of your fear and your troubles. Again, 
God supplies a way of living through this, a way of living in the face of adversity that does not fit the norms. And that's the kind of man and that's the kind of woman that you're called to be. So bow your heads and close your eyes real quick. Let's pray about this for a minute. There's no doubt about it that this morning there are many of us who are just fighting anxiety is dragging us through it just struggle fight anxiety I'm not trusting I'm anxious I can't sleep I can't eat I just uh, I, I can't do this I believe that the Spirit of God is here and wants to give you the start. The start to being free of your worry. The start to being free of your anxiety. The start to being free of your fear. The start as you rejoice, as you pray, as you're thankful. As you let him know what's going on and what you need in your life, I believe that the Spirit of God is here to set you free, to begin this work in you. So I don't want to belabor the point. I just want to ask, if that's you, and you'd say, Brent, it's for sure. I I have so much anxiety and worry. I, uh, I, I don't know how I'm ever going to get through this. And I want somebody to pray with me. Would you please just lift your hands? Okay, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, yep, yep, yep. Okay, who else? Just lift your hands. Brent, I've got so much anxiety and so much worry and so much doubt. Yeah, good, okay. Anybody else? Who else? We just want to take a few minutes. I don't want to embarrass you. I'm not going to do anything to you. I just, We just want to pray for you as a family. We want to get the process rolling. And then it's up to you with the Spirit of God working in you and empowering you to live the lifestyle that we're talking about. To be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful and thankful about everything. We're going to pray for you. But there are others of you this morning that are, you're, you're listening to this and going, okay, well, that's me too, but I, but I don't even know who Jesus is. And you're talking about God sending his own son and dying on a cross to set me free from sin and this God that would do this for me. This really sounds like somebody that I want to get to know, but I don't know much. The Bible is very clear that all of us sin and we fall short of God's glory. We don't deserve it. We don't match up to it. We can't earn it. It's all been given to you by God himself through his son, Jesus. And his sacrifice on the cross has made a way for you to connect to him. What it takes is for you to believe it to surrender to him, to renounce your old life and receive a new life in him today. And some of you are full of anxiety and worry, but you feel like, "I, I got no hope. Jesus is your hope if you'll come to him today. So maybe it's for the first time you've never made that decision before, or maybe it's for the first time in a long time because you've been running away. Is there anybody here this morning? We just want to pray for you. You lift your hand and say, Brent, I want to, I want to begin life in Christ. Would you just lift your hand? 
You want to come to him or you want to come back to him? Just lift your hand up high. Okay. All right, I want us all to pray this prayer together. I want us to say these words, and there's nothing that's really uh, especially... uh, there's nothing perfect about these words. There's nothing magic about these words. It's just us making the commitment and the desire to say, God, we're going to serve you. And so if that's you, you're one of the ones who have said, yeah, I, 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 need, I need to follow Jesus. I want you to pray this prayer from your gut, and I want you to mean it. And even if you didn't say it, I want you to pray it from your gut, and I want you to, to mean it. You, you, just, you feel it, you sense it, you know that he's drawing you. And then we're going to pray for those of you that are struggling with those anxieties. Everybody repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I want you in my life. Come on, say it strong. I want you in my life. I want to serve you. I want to be yours. So I confess my old way of living. I confess my old life. I confess my fears. I confess my anxieties. I confess my worries. I don't want to be drugged down by these anymore. I want to live life in you. So help me today. I renounce the old way of life and I receive new life in Jesus. I believe in the cross. I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And I receive his new life today. Save me, forgive me, and work in me. Thank you in Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray for everyone who is just fighting through and struggling with all of the the anxieties, the worries, and pressures of life. God, I pray that you would begin that work. Spirit of the living God, would you begin that work? Would you start to push through? Would you start today, God, to alleviate those fears by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the life that only you can give? Would you help them today? Would you get them started today? and help them to live strong for you through thankful prayer and let the peace of God begin to guard them as they continue to give thanks and to offer up their prayers and to receive that peace, protect them and help them to live strong for you no matter what the circumstances. We thank you for doing this in Jesus' name.